The Abiding Word with Pastor Jim Swigert. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is an interesting chapter. Uh, it's amazing that as I began praying uh, what to share here, uh, you know, in light of all that's going on in our life, uh, I kept going back to Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12, which reads, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And that's kind of how I feel in these days, as the Lord's uh, calling us out to start a new work and uh, from the church plan in Cincinnati. And just with everything going on in the world today, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And uh, even though I've served as a pastor for 16 years at our previous church and then part of that church plan over 20 years ago, uh, I, I don't know anything more today than I did then. I, I'm wise enough to say that and know that if the Lord's not with us, then we're in trouble. And when we look at the world that we're living in today, if the Lord's not with us, we're in trouble. Amen? Uh, back in the 1980s, I served on board a uh, nuclear-powered submarine, the USS Shark. Um, it's decommissioned now. It was old then. It's, it's not in existence now. But one of the neat things uh, that I experienced was standing lookout on that submarine uh, when we came up to the surface and uh, standing watch as a lookout, looking out upon the horizon and looking to see if anything uh, was going to cause us danger that we might run into. It was awesome when we were in the Caribbean. That warm weather, just awesome. In the northern Atlantic, when it was cold, it was horrible. But nevertheless, it was, it was a great experience. And I think about spiritually, you know, the importance of us as believers always, but especially today, to be able to look out and see the dangers that are ahead for the body of Christ. And we are all called to be lookouts. We're all called to be watchmen. But how important it is for ministry leaders, pastors, men of their homes, men of the church, to be watchmen, to be able to see what's going on in the world, and then call upon God for his help. We have to be able to call upon God for his help. And, you know, you are well taught. You know what's going on in the world today when you look at the current events. COVID, remember COVID? You know, we're still suffering the consequences of COVID, right? A real thing, a real, uh, you know, health issue for many. I don't know how many here had COVID, but I had COVID. It was a real thing. And uh, and then you look at the, the government overreach and you see what's going on in the world today. And, and certainly we have all this uncertainty in the world. But it's, again, it's so important that we have God's perspective from his word to be watchmen, that we might be able to finish the race well here on earth. So let's look at... Um, Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's an interesting chapter because it deals with one of the better kings of Judah, King Jehoshaphat. And he was a good king. We know that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. But we also know that he had a couple decision-making issues and that he won and made an alliance with Ahab. In fact, uh, his daughter was married to Ahab's uh, son. And so 
that was not good. If you remember history, Ahab, what the evil, wicked king of all, king of Israel. Um, and then later on, even after this story that we're going to look at, Jehoshaphat made some decisions that, that weren't in connection or right with the Lord. But he did do a lot of great things. In Second uh, Chronicles chapter 17, verse 6, it says, And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. So right there we know something about Jehoshaphat, that he took delight in the ways of the Lord. And the psalmist, King David, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. What example for you and I. And I hope this morning we can say to the Lord, I delight to do your will, O Lord. I delight to be used by you. We also need to consider Jehoshaphat that he brought a lot of reform. In fact, if you look up in Second Chronicles 19, uh, we'll pick up in verse 8. It says, moreover in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the chief fathers of Israel when they returned to Jerusalem. And he commanded them, saying, thus you shall act in the fear of the Lord faithfully and with a loyal heart. So he brought a lot of reform into the nation. And oh, that this would be what we could say of our leaders government-wise, that they would govern and judge in the fear of the Lord. That needs to be a prayer of ours, that our nation's leaders would indeed have the fear of the Lord. And we need to ask God for that. Because if we're not asking God for that as the body of Christ, then there's really no hope. That goes to the point that we're going to see without God in our lives, there is no hope. So that brings us to this situation, this difficult situation that we're going to see Jehoshaphat and all of Judah placed in. And we're going to see a lot of little spiritual nuggets in the life of Jehoshaphat that we can apply to our lives that as we live in these difficult days before the Lord Jesus comes, that we can you know, go through these difficult times knowing that our eyes are on him. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. To, Lord, that we would receive your word with encouragement to be built up as the body of Christ, knowing full well, Lord, what your word says about the coming days, knowing full well the promises that you've given to us, such as we are citizens of heaven, not of this earth, Lord, you've given us your spirit to be able to see, discern, and to act. And so would you encourage us this morning through your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beginning of verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedi. And so it happened at this particular time that this great multitude with Israel's enemies 
Ammon and the Moabites and others, three different armies coming against Jehoshaphat. And he sees them. He sees the great multitude. The great multitude. And for you and I, there's great multitudes that we have in our life. That we're facing it whether we understand it or not. For one part of the great multitude we have against us is the world. The world in which we live in. I think it was C.S. Lewis that described the world as a human organization or man's organization set up without God. When we look at all the world's issues today, it goes back to this. Man trying to live without God. Man trying to live without God. And so all of us, we have <clears throat> this human organization, the world, and as I know that you're in the book of Revelation, you're going to get into it more, but there is this one world government that the Bible speaks of, and that's where we're headed. When you think about all this overreach from the government in recent times, it's nothing new. In fact, this one world government that's coming, in a, it's nothing new. This has been Satan's desire, and it's part of God's prophetic timeline that this one world government Again, you need to keep coming back and listen to Revelation because you'll learn more and more about this one world government. We hear of the global reset. Anybody hear of the global reset? Right? We understand what that is. It's all coming, and it's all part of God's plan, allowing it to come to fulfill his plans. But this is the world, and this is the great multitude that you and I as believers, we live in this world trying to live without God. And then there's the devil. And we know the devil is real. Amen? He's a loser. He's the one who brings death, destruction. He opposes God in everything. Jesus said he came to give life and life abundantly. It's Satan who's the murderer, the thief. He's the one who take, tries to take away life. And isn't it interesting, and as living in this world with the devil and all of his little schemes and ploys, Opposing God in everything. You think of marriage issues and, you know, same-sex marriage and, and, you know, the family, the attack on family today. It's all the enemy opposing God. Who's the author of family? Well, it's God. God instituted marriage. God created man and woman or male and female. And all the things that we're seeing today is part of Satan's confusion, all part of this one world government. Where, where it's headed. And it's all to take away life from God. Us to be separated from God. And then the flesh. Does anybody struggle with their flesh? A couple of you, that's good. A couple of honest people here. You, uh, <laughs> we're always in the battle with the flesh. As it's, Paul said in Galatians, we, there's always that battle between the flesh and the spirit. Right? Constantly. And the more we feed the spirit the less flesh rises up. And the Bible tells us that we need to crucify the flesh. And so we understand this great multitude when we look at this uh, story here in Scripture, the spiritual application for you and I, we're going to see many nuggets here of how we get to be built up in Christ, built up in, uh, about the Lord. And so here we see in verse 3 the response from King Jehoshaphat as he sees the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel and Judah, Verse 3, it says, And Jehoshaphat feared 
and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And so here's the response from Jehoshaphat when he sees the great multitude that says he feared. He feared. Certainly a normal human response when it comes to seeing great multitude coming against us. But having fear in itself is not necessarily wrong. The important issue is what do we do with fear? If we let it consume us, we'll be paralyzed to keep us away from God, to keep us away from people. Or we could use fear or over, overly concern to get our focus right with God. And I think God has worked in such a way within the body of Christ, somewhat, even in the last couple of years with COVID and everything, it's got our attention, right? When we look at the prophetic timeline, even more so. Things are happening so fast according to God's pro uh, prophetic timeline these last couple of years that it's getting a lot of people's attention. Even non-believers know something is going on in the world. Isn't that interesting? But sadly to say, there's so much in the body of Christ that doesn't. That's troubling to me. And as we prayed and as the Lord has stirred in our hearts, the necessity of going out in northern Cincinnati is all about because there's a famine in the land of the word of God being taught and believers being led of the Holy Spirit and telling people what the Bible says about God's plan that God loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die for our sin, that we might have life, that we can have a relationship with God. See, there's too many churches just playing church and, and wanting to feel good. We're all around churches all in our area. And I don't, I don't feel bad about saying it. They're just, they're off base because they're not teaching the word of God. The truth about God and the truth of us and our relationship with God. God desires that relationship. And when we have that relationship, we can be you know, filled with his spirit to do his will, to delight to do his will, overcome fear. There's not one of us here that should be fearful this day because we know the Lord is with us. Amen? So Jehoshaphat's fear, it drove him. I love this. It says, set himself to seek the Lord. And this means that he intentionally stopped what he was doing and he was focused. He set himself to seek the Lord. He fixed a position. And this is a good word for us today. And I am so thankful that this church believes in prayer. You know, one of the things uh, I guess I'll bring up uh, you know, as far as this new church plant, I had a brother, a brother Roger Ullman, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he called me and just to encourage me. He said, I'm not going to say this is of the Lord, but I want to give you a piece of advice. When you were in St. Mary's, what was that one thing that you just couldn't get over the hump to get people to follow you in? I'm like, well, there's about 500 things, but... Uh, Maybe the number one thing is that the church would be more prayerful. And so I, I believe this is a, a word from the Lord. And so, you know, as the Lord's stirring up my heart and as people are coming alongside us, 
We're going to pray. We're not, we're not going to do anything without prayer. We have to pray. We need to have God's guidance and his leading in everything that we do. And it's vital. Come to your prayer meeting. Be praying with the body of Christ. Just like we sang this morning, God, God responds to prayer. He delights in his church calling out to him, as we're going to see here. It's a good word for us today that we need to call upon the Lord to have that conviction that we need God to intervene in this world. We need God to intervene. There's, there's a lot of other great multitudes that come from the world, the devil, and the flesh. We have all kinds of things going on in this world. People who are, uh, you know, just, you know, when you think about the church, how many of us know somebody that's fallen away from the Lord? How many has prodigals? How many people that we know are, are dying from drugs, overdoses? And what about these school shootings? It's not guns. It's evil. And so we need to be a church calling out to God in all these things. We, he hasn't called us to hunker down and just pray, Lord, come, because uh, we want you to come so we just get removed from this earth. Jesus came to this earth. And he's called you and I to be light to this world and salt to the earth. As we call out to the Lord, we, he helps us to be steadfast in doing the Lord's work. Wow, if we, if we can't be light in this world today, as dark it is, as it is, we're, we're missing it, aren't we? And we need to pray, just as we sang, Lord, light the flame in us. What is it that you want me to do? How do you want me to make a difference? And every one of us who have the Holy Spirit has made that confession to Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit, the helper. And so all of us need to take position and set ourselves to seek the Lord, being intentional, prayer meetings. But what about our individual lives? Are we taking that time to set ourselves to seek the Lord? It's the most important thing for us to do, is to be men and women, doesn't matter if you're a senior citizen or a teenager, to pray to the Lord and to be in his word. Another great aspect of Jehoshaphat then being the, a, a, a good leader was he proclaimed a fast. He proclaimed a fast. A fast. <laughs> fast. <laughs> and a fast, as we know, is just simply, you know, denying the flesh in some way. And then when we do fast, I do believe, you know, Jesus talked about the church fasting. The early church fasted. It's not a have-to thing. And it doesn't make somebody who fasts uh, greater or more worthy. But we see Jehoshaphat here. He called a fast that they might draw closer to God, needing God to intervene. And so when we fast, the purpose is that we draw closer to the Lord, that we might hear him more, that we might draw closer to him. You know, today it's, those that fast, they're, they're considered to be more spiritual. And that's not really the case, necessarily. In, in the early church, they fasted. And here we see Jehoshaphat, he, 
calling for a fast. They gather to seek help. And notice that they gather together to seek help. I love that. I love the word assembly, which uh, we read in verse 5. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he's getting ready to pray, but it says, in the assembly. And we are an assembly. As believers, we assemble to praise God, to worship God, to devote time to his word, prayer, and fellowship as, a, as an assembly of believers. And I like the word assembly, and I, this is kind of, you know, i got to be honest, you can have pet peeves as a pastor. I'll tell you one of my pet peeves. Can I do that? Somebody say yes, please. Okay, thank you, thank you. <laughs> that way they don't have to explain to Joe, right? So one of my pet peeves is that we call the church assembly a service, the church service. Why do we call it the church service? Because what happens is when we call it the service, we have so many people, they come, right? The pastor gives the word. You have the praise and worship team. You have, you know, people serving. But sometimes they just come and they call it the service. But when we think about the assembly, it's something different. We have the assembly of believers, those who have the Holy Spirit. And then we devote time to his word and prayer and fellowship and to praise and communion. It's just much different when we say the assembly. That's just my pet peeve. Take that for what it is. I hope you never say you have a church service, but you have the assembly meeting together. One accord in Christ. Amen? Now let's look at Jehoshaphat's prayer. He says in verse 6, And said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? And so here's another good example of getting vertical, getting our eyes on the Lord, calling out to the Lord. Jehoshaphat says, O Lord God of our fathers, and he understands this covenant with the fathers. He understands that God's made a promise. And he's calling out to God. He, he's calling out to the Lord. And he's understanding that God's in heaven. And he does rule over all the kingdoms and nations. And that's something important for you and I to understand in light of all that's going on in this world, we, th clothe the, uh, we throw this cliche out there, right? God's still on the throne. Anybody ever used that lately? He's, still, he's always been on the throne. There's never a time that God hasn't been on his throne. And even in the midst of all the nonsense going on, the chaos, confusion that the enemy's bringing into the world, God is still on his throne. His plan for his church is still going forth just as it ever has been. God's, everything's happening according to his timeline. And we have Jehoshaphat calling out to this same God. Verse 7, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? So here we have Jehoshaphat. He's recognizing God's faithfulness, remembering what God has done in the past, remembering his promises, 
remembering his great works that he did for his people. And I like to call these spiritual markers. What about in your life? Remembering God's faithfulness. Think about when you were called to receive Christ as your Savior. That's not something you woke up that morning and said, well, I think I'm going to call out to God and ask for forgiveness of my sin and believe that Jesus came to die on the cross for my sin and he rose on the third day. And God did that. He put it in our heart, our need for Jesus. But think about this. Even as you go through different trials, you can remember that God saved you. He revealed himself to you. He, the Holy Spirit led you to make that decision to confess your sin and to call upon the name of the Lord. And then about what about your calling to serve him? I'm sure Joe remembers when he was called to be a pastor. I know when I was called to be a pastor, I was scared, afraid, not knowing what to do. Still that same way. <laughs> but I know Joe can say, he can look back on his life and say, I know I can say this because he prayed it this morning, to look at God's faithfulness. And I, but I can say for Joe, and certainly speak for myself, there's never been a Sunday that he's ever let us down. Oh yeah, I've given bad sermons, for sure. But the Lord somehow twisted because he's promised his word will never return void. It's not our sermon, it's not our word, it's the Lord's. And think about your own life, the place where he has you serving. His faithfulness. What about past answered prayer? The time where you really needed God to come through, and he did. What about that time when, if God didn't intervene, it would have been disastrous for you? And then he showed up, showed, his, showed himself strong. Remembering God's faithfulness is so important for us, especially living in these days. We can always go back to see what God's done in our life. He's called us to salvation. He's planted us where he's wanted us to serve. And he's, he's just always been faithful. Jehoshaphat continues and he says in verse 8, And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now, you know your Bible. This connects to Solomon's prayer that can be found in Second Chronicles chapter 6, when he dedicated the temple. Remember, the smoke filled the temple, the glory of God. And then as they dedicated the temple... Solomon prayed to God. And he, he prayed to the Lord that when we would fall away, that we could come to you and call upon you. And remember, God answered. And part of that answer is found on your wall over here in 2 Corinthians 7, 14, which says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Remembering who God is. 
Remembering that he's a forgiving God. Remember he's true to his word. And Jehoshaphat's calling on this God that he knows his word. He remembers the prayer uh, that Solomon gave. And he's, he's calling on God to act in such a way. Verse 10. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Masir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So the Lord didn't lead Israel to, to attack these enemies that were coming when they were coming out of Egypt, and here they are, ready to attack God's people, ready to take away their possession that God had given them. See, do you see how Jehoshaphat's prayer, he's calling on God, and we're going to see it very closely here in a minute, expecting God to respond. Look at verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Let's stop there for a minute. I was reading this morning in uh, one of the Psalms and David calling out for, for God to judge them. When you think about all the evil that's going in the world today, do you find it in your heart for God? Would you just judge them? We know that there will be judgment for the evil, the wicked, those who are leading people astray. There will be that time of judgment. Jehoshaphat, he's calling on the God who is righteous to judge. It says, for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And this is so powerful. Our eyes on you. And this means, Lord, the only way we're going to get out of this situation is if you intervene. It's interesting, Jehoshaphat in times before, he mustered up an army, a large army, to fight the enemies. He didn't even try and do that here. He knows that the only way for them to have victory is that God must intervene. And he doesn't know how God's going to do it. I love that. I'm one of those guys that I like to analyze God. I always get in trouble when I do it. Lord, if you would just do this, then this would happen. For instance, when I was in the Navy on board that submarine I was talking about, I was, I was not saved. But in my mind, Lord, what if I was saved? Because there was like two or three guys that were saved. They would have church on Sunday mornings. What if I was saved then? How glorious that would have been able to share the gospel and nobody could leave because we were on board a submarine. Where would they go? Out the torpedo hatch? I don't know. They couldn't run. That would have been awesome, Lord. And then I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit, his timing is always perfect. Here, Jehoshaphat, he's calling out to the Lord. He's understanding that, Lord, if you don't, if you don't move, if you don't bring forth victory for us, we are doomed here. And this is a place where God wants us, church. Where we understand we have no ability in ourselves to overcome the difficulty that we see in this world today. God loves it when his people confess their inability and it puts us then in a position for God to be able to work. 
When you think about the world today, you know, man's coming up with all kinds of solutions. Washington, D.C. has all the solutions, right? Well, where's that getting us? And I don't want to judge anybody's heart, but I don't want anybody from Hollywood telling us that guns are wrong. I struggle with that. Evil exists because man is trying to live without God. Without the absence of good. God is good. Then you have evil. It's, it's that simple. Light and darkness. And when man removes God, that darkness just grows. And that's where we are in God's timeline. This is We're coming to the end. This is, this is the culmination of it. And it won't be long that Jesus will come for his church and will be taken out of this world. Snatched out, right? But yet we're still here. And we still have a mission. We still have a calling. I'm reminded of the early church. And then I hope you're seeing the importance of prayer and God's people calling upon the name of the Lord. Remember back in Acts chapter 4, when Peter and the boys, they were, they were arrested because, you know, they talked about the Lord. They told the authorities, we, we cannot not talk about the Lord. And so we're going to talk about the Lord. So they were arrested, put in jail again. And, you know, they, they prayed because they didn't have resources. They didn't have anything else. They, they prayed to God. And that's what God wants us as a church today. He wants us to Call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's where his power comes from. When the church walks by faith, there is power. Let's see what happens here. So we got the picture, right? They're in the assembly. Jehoshaphat's praying. Verse, and Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The Ammonites are here, the Moabites and others. They're, they're about ready to destroy us. That's what they're here for. Our eyes are on you, Lord. We don't know what to do. Verse 13. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. Now this is interesting. All of Judah, with all the little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. And that stood before the Lord really means, as they have prayed, they are expecting a reply from God, a response from God. They're expecting and anticipating God to do something. Look at verse 13, or excuse me, 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly, and he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So as Jehoshaphat and all the assembly are getting vertical with the Lord, they're standing there waiting for a response from God. And what happened? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon this fellow, and then he brings forth 
as you are well taught, you understand the gifts of the Spirit. We certainly have word of prophecy, as we're going to see. But point being here, the connection of getting vertical, the Lord's Holy Spirit coming upon somebody, which when we think of the word upon, what do we think of when we think of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think of Acts chapter 1, 8, or Scott, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 8. You know, when Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come upon you to be witnesses of me in Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem, and, you know, all over the world. It speaks of power. And here is their calling upon and waiting on the Lord. They have a word of encouragement, word of exhortation, word of prophecy from the Holy Spirit. But he says, do not be afraid nor dismayed. This is, this is God's counsel for you and I today. There's no need to be fearful, even no matter what circumstance we might have in our life right now, the threats that we may, might face, no matter what battle is going on. We don't need to be beat down, discouraged, because we have life in Christ. He is with us. Yes, we are living in difficult times, but the Lord is still on the throne. And the battles that you and I face, they, they belong to the Lord. The battle against this world, it's not our battle, it's the Lord's. The battle against the enemy, the devil, well, the Lord defeated him at the cross. The flesh, well, the Lord helps us with his Holy Spirit to crucify the flesh. So no need to be afraid nor dismayed. Verse 16, then, tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jural. You will not need to fight this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Again, we see position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the, of the Lord. Essentially, the, the Spirit tells us that we are to walk in victory. We have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here they're being encouraged that, listen, you won't even need to fight this battle. That had to be comforting and a little bit nervous. Well, if we don't need to fight, then what's going to happen? Well, he's encouraging them through the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says, excuse me, verse 18, And Joseph bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of, hol beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. 
So Jehoshaphat, being the good leader that he was, he gets the people focused on the Lord. And we see here how important worship is. Worship and praise to the Lord is vital in our lives. Oh, not just the worship service or assembly. (laughs) Certainly important. That's why we come here, right? We come here to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord for who he is, what he's done, what he's promised, but most of all, all for who he is. And it's vital that we do that. I am so thankful when we come here, we know who we're singing to. We're singing to our creator. We're singing to God. That's not always true at church anymore, folks. What about it in our own life? You know, worship essentially is a lifestyle. Do we praise him on our own, or is this the only time we praise the Lord in church? There's so much to be thankful for and to praise the Lord. Again, this is essential in getting vertical with, with the Lord. It's, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> When I first got saved in the Baptist church, we had a guy, you know, I didn't know nothing then, uh, still don't, but um, he, he used to tell me, you know, before I come to church, I, I watched The Hour of Power. Remember The Hour of Power? Some of you may. Uh, Robert Schuler. He said, I got to watch that to get, get pumped up to come to church. And I'm, why, why do you have to get pumped up to come to church? That was just his thinking. But it's, Even when we come to church in our praise and worship time, that's just not to get us pumped up. We we come because we want to praise him, to worship him. And the spirit does. Worship is emotional. It should stir up something in our heart, just an adoration to God. And it's so vital when we battle spiritual warfare that we're praising him. Praising him for every little thing that we see him do in our lives in our lives. Praising him for what we see, how he's doing things in the world. Praising him for anything that we can praise him for. It's easy to, you know, praise the Lord after the battle, isn't it? Have you ever experienced God do something in your life as you're experiencing something you know, spiritual warfare, you're experiencing a crisis and you just don't know what, you know, how God's going to do it, but uh, you, you understand that, um, you know, I, I hope he does it. And, and, and then after the crisis, you see the, the Lord's hand in it all. That's kind of like I was telling Joe this morning, our life the last couple of years, it's been four or five years, it's been crazy. And then Lord does these things and it's like, you got to sit and pray and and then he's like, wow. And then we, this, you know, after two years in Cincinnati, serving as assistant pastor, getting connected with the people, and then sit down in a meeting with Pastor Brian, and then he throws it out there about, uh, are you called to start a Calvary Chapel? And it's like, well, that's a pretty heavy-duty question. And then knowing your heart, the Lord's been stirring in your heart, not knowing what it is, and then you've got to walk that out. And now I'm thinking to myself, I wake up every morning like, Lord, what are we going to do? You know? You sent us down to Cincinnati during COVID. That was bizarre enough. And now you're sending us out where there's, all they talk about is inflation and recession. And I don't even know if people's going to come to church. But this I do know. God will show up. 
I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to show up. And I want to be found faithful, just as you do. We want to we hear those words when we meet Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. But I've got to tell you that you look at the world, that's why you've got to keep your eyes on him. And praise and worship is so vital. Prayer is so vital. Being in his word is so vital. Now, remember Paul and Silas when they were in jail, in the Philippian jail? You know, they, they were very likely they were going to die. And yet they're singing hymns and they're praising the Lord. What well, was it? Midnight. You know, then the earthquake happened. Can God still do that today? Sure he can. And he delights to do that in the hearts of his people. And when believers gather to worship and their hearts are focused on the Lord, they're surrendered to the Lord, there is something about true corporate worship in the body of Christ. It's wonderful. I love going to pastor's retreats. And, you know, not all pastors can sing well. I'm, I'm one of them. I don't know if Joe can or not. But I, but you get a handful of guys that can't sing, it can be a glorious noise to the Lord. And the Lord receives that. Corporate worship is powerful and amazing. Look at verse 22. Now when they began to sing to pray and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Masir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So are you catching what went on here? They didn't know what to do. Their eyes were on the Lord. The Holy Spirit fell upon this fellow. He gives a word of encouragement, a word of prophecy. Tells them that no need to... Uh, fear or be dismayed because the battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. And the Jehoshaphat, he believes in this. He's trusting in the Lord. And he sends out, he's sending out, he sent out his praise and worship team for the battle. This is so interesting. This passage of scripture, a handful of times in my life, has just come to life. One time we were in Haiti, I think it was back in 2017. And it's real quiet in the morning. You know, you get people up and we're doing our devotion. And, and uh, there's like three guys, a couple of missionaries and I think another pastor. They were doing their devotionals. All three of them came up, started talking about this passage of scripture. It was, it was awesome. Well, it just so happened to be that day that we were traveling about two hours away from the main camp and we were building a church there. And uh, in, in Haiti, where the Cross to Light Ministry, they have strategically set up, uh, you know, they bring guys in, they disciple them two years, and then they send them out. And then they plant churches all around, strategically around Haiti. And most of the churches are planted right in the middle of voodoo communities. And so we were going up to this place, and sure enough, we get a guy... He doesn't speak English, but he knows who we are. He knows we're going out to work on building this church. And he just starts, you know, saying loud things to us. And I determined that he was cussing us. I don't speak real. I didn't know exactly what he was saying. But when he gave me half the peace sign, I knew he was cussing at us. 
And so we had a guy with a guitar. He just starts playing. We started praising the Lord. And it reminded us that day of those three guys that did their devotions uh, and looking at, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And reading that story about Jehoshaphat, sending his praise and worship to him out. It's powerful, again, when we worship the Lord, when we praise the Lord. The enemy can't stand it. So here we see this happening, and the Lord gave them victory. Let's see how he did it. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and they were, there were dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. When, Joseph, excuse me, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Raqqa, for they, there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place was called the Valley of Raqqa until this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with string instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. So we read there that it was the Lord's battle. And he caused a great you know, the ambush and confusion. And did you catch that? Israel didn't even see the battle. All they were able to do was walk in the victory with great abundance of spoil. And it's interesting, that Valley of Baraka. That speaks of Valley of Blessing. And it's interesting, back in Genesis chapter 1, The same word is used in verse 28. So remember back in creation, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea of the birds of the air and over every living Thing that moves on the earth. That word baraka, blessing, it speaks of God in heaven stooping down and blessing his creation, man. At the same time, man is giving God adoration. We see that then in this battle that Jehoshaphat did not have to fight. Judah did not have to fight. The battle was the Lord's. The blessings of God came. So how does this relate to you and I? Well, when we think of all that's going on in the world with the great multitude coming against us, right? The opposition, the spirit of Antichrist, everywhere we turn, right? We see it in the schools. We see it in the workplace. We see it being played out all over, this Antichrist spirit, this spirit that opposes God. And we're bombarded with it as a church. But Jesus said he was going to keep us from the evil one. We are in the world, but not of the world. 
we still have plenty of work to do here on this earth. And we do this by faith. And while we walk, while we walk with the Lord, he wants to give us the value of blessing. And the blessing for you and I is God's presence in our life. That we might freely worship him, adore him, walk with him, and enjoy him. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that we see Jehoshaphat and Judah as they assembled together, looked upon the Lord, and the Lord met them. This very same God is wanting to meet with you and I. And I don't know what you might have going on in your life. You might be at a place in your life today that you need the Lord to intervene. What should you do? Call upon the Lord. He's ready to meet with us in such a way to show himself God, show himself strong. You might be going, uh, battling some spiritual warfare this morning, whatever it might be. The Lord wants to meet you. He wants your eyes on him. And that opens the door for God to work. So why don't we just stand and I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we thank you uh, for your word and this story about Jehoshaphat and Judah, this difficult situation in which the great multitude, the Ammonites, the Momites, and others, Lord, came against them. But Lord, you gave them victory. And Lord, it's your great desire that you give us victory. We thank you for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that you've given us. We thank you for the blessings that you give to us. And now, Lord, as an assembly, as we stand before you right now, Lord, that we just pour our hearts out to you now, Lord. Whatever situation in our life that we need you to intervene, Lord, we declare to you, God, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And may we stand even this morning and anticipate and expect for you to do a work in our life and that you declare yourself Lord. Father, we certainly do need your help living in these last days. Lord, everywhere we turn, there's, there's chaos, there's confusion. There's so much evil in the world, so much wickedness, so much death. Lord, without you, we, we have no hope. Lord, we pray today in this place that you would pour out your spirit anew to us as we know your mercies are new every morning, every day. Fall fresh on us, Lord, to be that help. And again, I pray for anybody this morning, whatever you need, tell it to the Lord today. And as always, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus, and according to your will, we ask these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.